Welcome to the second episode of the new Meridian 223 podcast made by teachers for teachers. Our goal is to provide information for teachers as well as interview teachers in our district with the intent of sharing exciting activities that are going on in our district classroom. It is a platform that will allow us the opportunity to share and learn with each other. If you are interested in being interviewed in our podcast, please let Ryan and Kathy know about via email. We'd love to have you on our show. The purpose of this podcast is dedicated to the Meridian MCUSD 223 who are searching for ways to promote their teachers and their students. This podcast is looking to build a brand in our community. We are your hosts, Ryan, Kathy, and we make up the business technology department at Stillman Valley High School. Okay. In our second podcast, we are talking to our very first guest. He is a consultant, a provider of professional development, and has recently keynoted several national conferences specializing in time management, the tyranny of the status quo, school culture, continuous improvement, social media, and teacher evaluation. He currently serves as a superintendent for Meridian MCUSD 223. Please welcome Dr. PJ Capozzi. Quite the introduction. Thanks, Ryan and Kathy. Uh, <laughs> most importantly, the superintendent of Meridian CUSD 223. So I know you mentioned it last, but uh, know that it's first in, in my mind, and hopefully uh, my behavior indicates that as well. Well, um, Mr. Capozzi, PJ, um, I would like you to maybe share out a little bit about your own educational history for some of the listeners who might not be familiar with it. Sure. Uh, so I think it's important to talk about where I came from. So the entirety of my educational career was spent in a, a very large high school setting. So when I think about um, what our kids experience, our high school is normally about 600 students. Uh, my graduating class was 1200. And so my experience and the offerings, the opportunities that I had as a student are not necessarily what we can bring, which um, is, very motivating to me because I don't, you know, I think one of the ethos of most educators is that zip code shouldn't determine the quality of education. Mm -hmm. And so just because we're a small school, I want to bring as many large school features while kind of maintaining our small town values like our, our vision statement is. Um, from, so that was my experience as a student. As a teacher, the entirety of my teaching experience was in the inner city of Chicago. And so when I say inner city, I mean inner city. Uh, there's a difference between being in Chicago and being inner city. Uh, with the diversity of schools within there. So the stat I give, which is depressing and humbling, uh, my last year um, at Percy Julian High School, we had eight students die violent deaths. We had 7% of our kids meet standard. So to kind of give a glimpse as to what um, school looked like. So that's that's the entirety of my teaching experience. So sometimes I, I chuckle when I'm working with the teachers in our district and they'll talk about, oh, we've got a rough class or, or rough grade. And I'm just like, you know, this, this, <laughs> this, this, this looks like a dream to me in yeah. some cases, um, even though I know there, there are true challenges there. I, I do have a question for you. I've always wanted yeah. to ask you this. Uh, did you go into the inner city in Chicago by choice or was that, you know, kind of like this is the only job I can get and so I'm going in? So by choice and circumstance, I guess would be the two ways. So I wanted to work, uh, with kind of our traditionally underserved population. I didn't necessarily care where that was. And then as I think people learn in life and in education, networking and connections matter. Um, so my college roommate's father happened to be the principal. Oh. So, yeah. um, so I was able to get a job. And mm -hmm. so it wasn't that I set out and wanted to say, I wanna work in one of the most difficult schools in the city. 
um, I knew I wanted to work in the city. Um, I had gotten, I was fortunate to receive the Golden Apple Scholarship when I was uh, a student. And so as part mm. of that, you work five years in a need-based school. And there's lots of need-based schools that qualify because it's based on framework just lunch, but I wanted to work in the city. Uh, I didn't know where or what, and I didn't even know enough about the city to probably even have an educated opinion. So I knew I wanted to be somewhere like there. And then the circumstance of, you know, my best friend in, in college and um, who stood up in my wedding, uh, Big Will, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> but his dad, Dr. William Harris, was the the man who hired me to, to teach. That's cool. It is cool. I mean, and that's really interesting how you said about circumstances and chairs. Like I went from working at a private school in Rockford to working to an inner city charter school. And it was a change of both worlds going from that kind of a student for where maybe 95% was in the graduation rate to where we were hoping, you know, we'd have at least 80%. Yeah. So there, there was a big difference in that change. Yeah. I mean, just to explain what school looked like, it would be like getting into an airport, going through metal detectors and screenings. And this is 2004, 2005, just to get into the school. Hmm. Uh, we had a police station in the school. Uh, when we would arrive on the first day of school, at, after the opening convocation, like we do here, then you'd get your schedule for the year. So you didn't even know what you were teaching wow. until the first day. Wow. And then based on the attendance of the first 10 days, you could get transferred to anywhere within the city. And so some of those, that's an hour and a half drive. So if, if not enough kids show up or kids transfer out of your class, when they get their schedule, you could end up in a completely different part of the city. So wow. uh, as we talk about like lives teachers live, I think it becomes very easy to think of well, everyone must have it similar. Um, I'll tell you the teachers in Chicago, now they're compensated well, um, but have a completely different ask of them than what is normal out in our portion of the state. That's that's very interesting to know. Yeah. That. yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So where did you go after? So how did you become? So I finished my administrative certificate uh, largely because I had Two reasons. One, I had kids and wanted to make more money, just to be honest and transparent. <laughs> and I think that's why a lot of us do it, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and then second, there was a lot of things wrong in my school um, that I saw just from a 20,000-foot perspective. We would do our back-to-school retreat would be at like a five-star resort um, mm -hmm. for multiple days. But then you had to bring your own copy paper because they didn't buy paper for copies, right? Like, <laughs> So there are some things that needed wow. attention, right? Um, and so I... I would have been the first ever white administrator in the building that I was working in. But to be to work in Chicago Public Schools, you need to live in the city. What a lot of people do is use a fake address, which works for some teachers, um, but does not work at the administrative level. And so at that point, I was I had a young family. I didn't want to raise my family in the city. So I started looking at other places. At the time, Rockford was the second largest urban district in the, the state. So I started applying in, in Rockford. And it was an interesting process and it was late. So I didn't think I was going to get a job. And then late June, got a call, uh, interviewed, hired the same day, started the next day and, and off, to, <laughs> off to work as, as an administrator at Auburn High School in Rockford. How did you end up here? So from, from Rockford, during that time, I was divorced. So my now at that point, ex-wife moved back to where she was from, which was the Wheaton area. Mm. And so I was working on getting back toward, uh, where she and my sons were. And so I'd applied a bunch of schools out in the burbs as an assistant principal. At this point, I had two years of experience and I thought I'd get, you know, I'd, I'd be able to find an assistant principal job somewhere. Right. 
on the drive home down 39, there's a sign for Oregon. Never been in Oregon, just seen it as I go, went through. You know, I get the, the text alert or whatever is the email alert saying there's an opening for principal. So I applied, didn't hear back. Um, what happened, and now that I know the story, is that they went through the interview process, hired someone they couldn't agree to a contract with them. Oh, wow. They reopened the process. Uh, I went through, and so I was the, the second choice. Um, much younger, much cheaper. <laughs> and, uh, and I was able to become principal there. I was there four years. Uh, many of it was incredible. Uh, the first two years probably weren't. At that point, I kind of thought that I could outwork and outread and policy and protocol uh, my way to success. And I wasn't real easy or nice or thoughtful about how I treated teachers. And uh, so we, we were able to eventually, once I kind of learned my lesson about 18 months in, I was like, I don't think if I don't want to be here because it's so icy that I doubt my teachers want to be here and kind of figured out that I need to change my behavior. And so over the last two years, we were able to make a dramatic culture shift and we had huge achievement score gains and everything kind of came together. Was there anything in particular that kind of enlightened you to see that you needed to make an adjustment? A teacher and student walkout. Oh, wow. oh yeah. That, <laughs> so, that, that, yeah. As so, someone yeah, who yeah, was yeah, at right, school, it's, it's, it's yeah, a, I, a, I know how that feels. It's a, it's, a, it's a pivotal moment. And uh, <laughs> to sit back and, you know, I was sitting there because they just did laps of the school on the outside. And so I'm supervising them because the students still need to be supervised. And I remember sitting very vividly. If anyone's been to Oregon high school, there's picnic tables out in front of their pillars. It's a, it's a beautiful oh, yeah. looking yes, facility. Yeah. And I'm sitting on the, on the picnic table, watching them and just kind of having a moment to myself to think about, okay, I made every decision, every decision was textbook research, based, like everything I was doing was the right things just not in the right way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had to figure, I wasn't leading anything, right? Like I was implementing, I wasn't leading. And so I had to figure out if I wanted to lead, I needed to behave differently. And so the, the staff was forgiving um, in allowing me to try to build that back up. And we were able to make some dramatic cultural academic shifts. Um, by the end, it was, you know, when I told them that I was coming here a handful of years later, like, you know, people cried and they weren't tears of joy, um, which, <laughs> which, which, you know, a couple of years prior, they probably would have been. Yep. Wow. Well, I know that um, when they first announced that you were going to be principal, there was a lot of um, concerns, you know, because some people heard this, some people heard that. So some people heard good things, some were bad. So there was this mixed emotion um, about you coming to Stillman. But I think that's been resolved in a real positive way. At least from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, I th and I think that's fair. Um, and th I also would say that there's a certain element of leadership is hard. And if if it's universally supported, it's probably not, you're probably not trying hard enough mm -hmm. in a way. So um, I am perfectly fine with having an element of detractors, but it's for me, th the biggest thing to me is that I wasn't treating people the way that I wanted to treat people because I wanted, I was so concerned with the work getting done that I forgot about the worker doing the work. Mm -hmm. uh, and so even if, if I treat people with integrity, respect, and kindness, and they don't like the direction we're going, I, I can live with that. Mm -hmm. um, the issue for me is, as I sat back on that, that picnic bench and reflected was that I wasn't, I wasn't proud of my own behavior and I wasn't yelling at people and screaming and whatever else, but um, I had forgotten about the importance of like humans. In, in how to treat humans. And so uh, that was that was kind of the the most important day of my administrative career for sure. 
Uh, and I'm really thankful that the superintendent and the board stuck by me and let me grow into the position because mm-hmm. that would have been an easy time to not. Right. Um, so they had my back and that's kind of how I, you know, I want to make sure my people now feel like I have theirs. Mm-hmm. But that was that was kind of the, the key moment for me to figure out who I was as a leader. And it's it's OK to work really hard and to read a lot of stuff and to know a lot of stuff. Um, but if you don't treat people well, you're not leading anything like, mm-hmm. you know, it's. It's a, I, I actually don't even like the saying, but, you know, one of my old, old, old bosses used to say, you know, if you think you're leading and you turn around and no one's behind you, you're just out for a walk. And, and yeah, yeah. And th- that's yeah. where I was at that moment. Right. Yeah. I thought I was. And so I realized if I need to lead, it's about the people moving forward, not necessarily the policies of the programs. And to be transparent, we're not where I want us to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think we're five years behind where I want us to be. I think we've caught up. We've closed that gap. So could I implement policies and directives to get us caught up? Absolutely. Do I think our humans could handle it with the training that we've given them and all the other things on their plate right now? Probably not. So it's a, it's for me, that's like leadership calculus. So where we want to go, how fast can I go where people are uncomfortable, but feel safe mm-hmm. and feel supported um, and trying to find that constant pressure point of, okay, this is hard, but I feel safe and supported and I, I don't feel failure. Um, and if we can get there, then we're in a really good place. Yeah, and you you brought up a really great point about that too, because you know, I you know in the decade I've worked in education, I've had it to where it's like, well, yeah, they have some great visions, but I don't want to get behind them because he has no idea where to lead us. And I've had people like, I'd follow that guy to the diner or off a cliff. This guy has the best idea, or this woman has just got such amazing abilities. And I think that really says to you a lot about the leadership. You perfectly said the boss. I had an old boss a long time that says, you might be in charge. Does not mean people are going to line up behind you to walk with you. Right. So that's that's a great point. Thanks, PJ. Welcome back. Um, PJ, when you first came here, I was one of the teachers here. And I hadn't been here super long. But one of the topics you introduced to us, I think it was pretty much the first day you met with us was this concept of fail. And I remember sitting in there listening to you and being clueless as regards to what you were talking about. But I think now I have a much better grasp of where and what you expect from us. But if you could start there and talk a little bit about that, because I think that was a big turning point for a lot of teachers in our district. Yeah, well, first of all, growth is messy and innovation is messier. And so when we think about failing in the classroom, I want teachers to feel empowered enough that they're going to try something new, that it's going to be a disaster Um, and and that they feel that if we walk in and see you doing something that's just categorically bad, it didn't work out the way it did in your head, that there's not going to be retribution. It's not going to be a gotcha. Like that, that type of culture is where success lies. So I actually stole the idea from Mike Schiffman. Uh, He's a colleague in the Northwest part of the state. And he had handed out business cards. I don't know if you remember that part. There's yep. a business card that I still have it. <laughs> yep. Um, that said, uh, uh, "Feel free to fail," mm-hmm. and gave out a business card to every staff member and said, "When you try a lesson and it's a disaster, then just turn it into me and we'll talk about it. We'll see if we can improve it." Um, and what would happen is if people turned it in, then I'd write them a note and say, "Thank you for turning it in," and I just give it right back to them and say, "Can't wait to talk to you again," because the the thinking is that we should always be pushing ourselves to the point where we're trying something new that may be the best lesson ever or may may completely flop. The other idea with having the business card behind it is that if I walk in to do an informal and you're in the middle of one of these disasters, it's a get out of jail free card. Right? You can go <laughs> yeah. Over, oh, yeah. You get over and say, like, all right, I'm, I'm, not, I'm done taking notes, right? I'll step out and you can go through. Um, and so the, if we want 
to move past the status quo, there's no way to do it without trying and failing several times. I can look back on, on my career here. So I've just started my eighth year in the district. There's like a, some small failures and there's some significant failures. If I had to do back, um, I would 100% do back. I can look and say that most of my mistakes that I've made, I was trying really hard. I was trying to do the right thing. I just screwed it up and, and need to figure out a way to, to get better or develop different skills in order to be able to do it better or be able to recognize quicker um, that something wasn't going right. But if we all have the mentality that not every lesson is going to be perfect and that if the lesson is receiving fine performance from students, but not amazing, then as the teacher, as the expert in the room, then maybe we can crank it up and try something so that everyone performs at this amazing level. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's that constant tweaking to me that makes education so exciting. Uh, but it also can be daunting when you're not used to hearing like, oh, I want you to fail in the classroom. I think I totally understand where that could be um, off-putting in a way. And also really like, well, what, what does he, does he mean? Am I supposed to fail kids? Is it whatever? <laughs> for, for, for me, it's about trying new things, expanding your own pedagogy, your own bag of tricks. And I think what most people will tell you is that as you get to be more veteran in your career, you might try 10 new lessons a semester and then four of them stick and six of them are like, oh, I tried it, not going to work here or not going to work with these kids, not going to work with my skill set. Um, and I'll tell you the same thing happens with leadership, right? Like it's mm -hmm. it's the constant, like I, when I talk about leadership, it is the undeniably important, but all it is is taking an educated guess of directing your behavior and how it's going to influence somebody else's behavior. It's not, you can try to make it scientific but really what it is, is you're just using your experience and your wisdom and your instincts to say, okay, if I deploy this tactic, which sometimes is going to be a hard line, sometimes it's going to be a hug or a pat on the back. Other times it's going to be whatever it happens to be. All you're trying to do is change behavior in another human, which as we know, the same treatment or the same behavior exhibited toward you at two o'clock on Sunday may get one response as opposed <laughs> to five o'clock on Tuesday, right? Like we're humans, it's complicated, um, which is what makes leadership so fascinating to me is because there's not a right and wrong. It's that constant meshing of trying to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to try this, or this is a new skill I've deployed. Let's see if it gets the results I want, or I think it could. And then sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't. Right. Yeah. I still have feel free to the, the card that you gave us and it sits out every day on my, in the back behind my desk That's awesome. and um i never turned it into you because i wanted it back yeah. <laughs> well, you know the trick was we were always going to get it back yeah, yeah then you would have been fine i wasn't sure i would get that back you know, the, but... the first person to turn it into me was dom cozy it doesn't work here anymore and dom turned it in and i think he thought okay i got this done with and then like a week later he's like wait i got it back like, yeah. well you know it's interesting because you know ryan and i talk about this all the time because we co-teach intro to computers and, you know, we are constantly trying to look for those projects that will push the kids. And, you know, we see them fail at it. And then, we, you know, we're, again, the kids have picked up the language now, too, that they know they need to, to, to keep trying to get it better. So, you know, it's kind of this idea of failure has really grown, I think, in our district. Um, but Ryan and I are always going back to the drawing board saying, you know, this really you know, I, I didn't enjoy this, yep. <laughs> you know, and it didn't seem like the kids did either. Yeah. So every year it's like, we're always going back and redoing our curriculums and like in some areas, because it's just, this really did not work well. And I know now for accounting, I'm kind of redesigning 
I every summer I spend one summer with one class looking at redesigning the whole thing, which is what I'm doing in accounting. So I'm kind of nervous about accounting because um, a lot of the stuff I'm introducing is going to be first time, yep. you know, so I can see where some of it um, might work, but I always share everything out with Ryan. And so he goes through and does it for yep. me and, and he gives me input back too on whether he likes it or enjoys it or things that I need to work on to fix it, you know, to make sure. it better. But um, the, this idea of failure, I read it in all the books, you know, everything that I picked up this summer was always talking about allowing kids to make mistakes you know, and you know, in the business world, they do that too. Yep. If a product, most of the time when you first create a product, it's a bomb, yep. you know, and you have to work through all the details and get everything right. Think how long they've been working on 5G yep. to get it right. You oh, know? Yeah. And uh, it's been constant failure, um, but kids need to know that and be aware of that. So I appreciate that aspect of what you brought to our district. Again, it was the first time I heard it and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it took me quite a while. Yeah to really um, understand what you were talking about. So I appreciate the patience you gave with everybody. Um, Cause I don't know if you're aware that people didn't really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. understand for yes. sure or were nervous or didn't trust the mm -hmm. fact that your words, right. you know, um, cause a lot of times words are said and, but they're not followed up on. Yeah. And so, you know, and we've had histories of that with, with um, administrators. And so when you were saying these, as much as we are hearing your words, right. And we had to experience it to believe that what you said you were going to follow through on. So thank you for yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I have to say too, I felt more comfortable because, you know, coming in, you know, you were saying about how quickly you were hired as principal. I was hired two weeks before the school year started. Yeah. I had been like looking after job and after job. And I had a chance encounter with, an, with a Monroe Center teacher who was actually at the same park as I was with my wife and son. And then I got in there and there were people saying, hey, right, don't worry about this. It's going to be a lot of failure. I'm like, yeah, that, thank you for giving yeah. me some feeling that that's not a bad thing. Because I said, I know I'm not going to get it right the first time. And, you know, it's I mean, this is my fourth year here, hard to believe. But now it's like I feel comfortable. But now I'm expanding, too, into different things like my business class and my marketing class to where it's all of a sudden like, we're going to try this. And it's either going to be really well or it's going to kind of be like, OK, maybe I should try something a little bit different this time. Yep. And we both know that things are just disasters sometimes. Yep. Oh, and yeah. you try to, to keep a stiff upper lip, right. you know, with the kids to try to, to get them to complete the lesson. Um, unless you figure out it's just you're like. Yeah, it's done. Though. <laughs> it's, yep, done. It's, it's done. You know, Been it's there. Yep. Right, thank you. <laughs> so. PJ, um, you talked about uh, goals for the district and where we, we where we could be, and we're five years behind in that. What is your vision, and how do we get into uh, moving forward here in a more, I should say, comfortable, but yet at the same time, maybe scary way where we are not afraid to fail, as you talked about earlier, but you know, moving forward in the process. Yeah. So thanks. For let me clarify. I think we are perfectly contemporaneous with our peers. So I think we've completely caught up with what is normal in education. That doesn't mean that it's where I'd like us to be. Um, so I, I think that there are some districts ahead of us and not that it's a competition, but I think there's other things that we need to explore. But I think it's important for us to be mindful of where we came from. So this is, we're recording this in July. So this is the very beginning of my eighth year. So we finished seven years in the district. When I was hired and asked for an email address, I couldn't get one. <laughs> because we quite literally didn't have functioning email. Um, at that point, all teachers had lost, uh, unless they had saved on different devices, but if they had relied on the, the district, had lost all of any documents that they had saved 
their entire career of teaching could, could have been gone. So a big crash. Right. Yeah. So we have come a dramatically long way to, to be where we are at and that should be appreciated. But when I look at, uh, I think we have just some philosophical things that we have to start wrestling with. Uh, for instance, how we grade um, and whether what proficiency looks like compared to what the grade looks like. And in some classes, they're directly aligned. In that case, the grade is working fine. In other cases, um, I believe that we'd have teachers say that this kid really knew everything um, but got a B minus because they didn't do some of the homework or this kid didn't know anything but got a B minus because they did all the homework. Um, and so in that regard, I think we have to philosophically look at what proficiency looks like in order to um, take our next steps forward. Proficiency is messy. And no matter which way we look at it, I think it, it's it's abundantly more complicated at the high school level than it is at the K-8 level. So as we continue to explore what that looks like, the more we do that, the more I think we can be a more full service institution for our kids as they leave. So when I look at what personalized learning really looks like, whenever you look at personalized learning, to me at the K-8 level, it becomes very software dependent, saying this kid is currently at this level, and so we're going to differentiate based on software, which I think has minimum effectiveness, but is also worth discussing and considering. At the high school level, which is where you guys are at, to me, personalization is about creating an educational experience that is commensurate with what that student's tomorrow looks like. And if we're focused on proficiency over typical seat time and grading, that allows us the flexibility to, to move to that regard. Um, and I know it's still fraught with, with peril because you're saying to me, PJ, that a 15-year-old is going to know what they want to do at 18. No, because at 18, I didn't know what I want to do. At 22, I had doubts, right? Like, so I think we've all <laughs> been there. Yeah, right. Um, so I think we've all had, had those experiences. But I think we can create a more customized, personalized experience for kids where they're going to leave with these net set of experiences that are, that are consistent across all kids, but then things that are very different for other students. Uh, and that's my dream scenario is that we have kids that really leave feeling that every moment of their time that we had, particularly at the high school level, we were maximizing their potential to do whatever that next step looks for them, whether that is they want to take over their dad's farm or whether that's they want to go to Harvard uh, and that we're going to spray to all fields and try to create that experience. Is that really hard? Yes. Do the, are the logistics mind blowing? Absolutely. Uh, and that's why we haven't pushed that way. So this goes back to where I was a decade ago compared to now. A decade ago, I just put this in place because I can write up an amazing plan that does this. Mm -hmm. But unless we have the mindset of the teachers behind it with the appropriate training so that they can develop the skill set, we can put any plan in place. It's just going to fall in on itself. Um, so for us, it's about creating the, the mindset of what proficiency really looks like. What do we want out of kids? What is the point of my class? Why is this necessary for a kid to take? And then distilling it down to really what the, the minimum and the maximum looks like so then we can get kids doing what they're passionate about um, and i think you can see it ryan in some of the entrepreneurship stuff oh you know, yeah um, you have some kids that truly make money and start their own little businesses you have other kids that just are meh right so we, <laughs> we we have to figure out what that minimum standard of okay this is good enough for the class but now that we know that a kid really wants to be a drop seller or whatever it looks like as a school how do we how do we leverage that how do we yes. let that kid go do what he wants to do like and a very miniature example was with Darush. I don't know if you remember uh, Darush 
uh, Warzoka, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Yeah. But he filmed a ton of stuff for us. Mm -hmm. um, did a ton of social media stuff for us. Oh, yeah, Aaron, and yeah. He, and he parlayed that into a lucrative business for himself as a 19-year-old. Like, those are the type of things. That's personalization, right? Yeah. Like, um, And so if we can get to that level where we're allowing kids to amplify their assets and do what's interesting to them, as opposed to making them fit into the curriculum that – either we designed was designed for us by arbitrary standards set by people that are well-intentioned, but no better informed than we are. Um, then I think we have a chance to be a really transcendent school. Uh, I would, I'm very proud of our district. I would say that we are on the good to great, you know, if we're out of 10, I think we're 8.5 or so. I think, and I think we're, we're right where we need to be, but if we're talking about really having those world-class results, what are we doing on behalf of kids? To me, that's at, at somewhere we have to figure out how we can leverage their strengths and allow them to pursue their passions. Uh, and when we do that, we're going to have kids that truly enjoy the high school experience and the schooling experience and look back on our district in a different lens than if they're just checking the boxes as to what they have to take as their next course. Right. And, and it's really interesting you brought up Darren because that was his nickname he had. But he, after taking my consumer ed class, he said, you know, Mr. Reed, I always had the ability to talk to everybody I want. I've done a lot for the school. But I have to say, until I took your class, I did not really learn how to really look into the background of jobs to find. He found more work as a result of that class. So it wasn't just the check boxes. It was actually getting experiences like, oh, I'm missing this. Yep. And luckily I'm in an environment to where they allow me to really grow and find my own way. But at the same time, he says, I'm also getting so much out of it as a result. Yep. And he, he's been, he's a great, he still manages my website for me. Um, and as I get more experience looking at what other exemplar websites look like and get different advice from different coaches or whatever the case, I come back and like, hey, can we change it this way? And it's working out for him because now he's learning how to build a better website as I'm learning how to instruct him to build the website for me. So it's been a, a good partnership there. But uh, when I look at that, that's one out of 150 kids that graduated that year. Yeah. Now I know that other people in other departments, so it's not just me. I know that, you know, Jay and Lauren, and I know you guys, I know lots of people do lots of great things with kids on, on that behalf. Um, and I think our college bound kids, I would put our college bound kids for a school our size literally against anyone in the state. And I think our college bound kids leave as prepared, if not more. Um, but there's still those other kids. So if we know we're kicking kicking butt in college bound and we're doing we're doing pretty darn good in egg, okay, so now we got 50 to 60% of our kids. What about those other 40%? How can we personalize that experience for them? Um, so to me, that's the next step that's exciting. And Ed's position of college and career coordinator is the first domino to fall to help get us toward that. Yeah, and, and it's very interesting you're bringing up Ed Legal because Ed has been bringing in a lot of more trying to bring those other kids. I mean, he's talked about more of the trades. He's talked about um, military. He's looked at some of the alternative programs that really I don't think was – when I was first here and I met that was missing from here. When I was at Jackson, we did look for that for those kids because a lot of those kids, that's, that's the programs they were looking for, and they didn't know where to go at it. And, you know, we talk about, you know, you know, not necessarily somebody knows what they're going to do at 15, at 22. What happens when you're all of a sudden 12 or 14 and you're about to go to high school and they're like, well, they're saying I'm supposed to have all these classes. I don't even know what to do with the dot. I'm 13. You know, it's like I got six years before I have to worry about that. Well, one of the things this summer that I read from, which it's a design. The design oh, yeah. yeah by um, design by yeah, Michael Cohen. Yeah. He he talked a lot. And, and I'm trying to take this down, put it in my classroom. He talked a lot about business and that every business um, is out to solve a problem. You know, um, they don't go into business um, and they're not successful if they do not answer the, 
a question or fill a need yep. for a customer or client. So that's kind of made me rethink when we're talking about careers. Um, maybe kids should be asking questions such as, you know, what really is nursing trying to solve? Right. What problems, what is agriculture? If I'm going to be an egg manager, what problems am I trying to solve? And then is that interesting enough for me to actually want to pursue it? You know, because I always think that when, when I was looking for careers, I never knew the questions to ask, you know, how much money, you know, those are standard kind of questions. But I thought he hit on something that was much deeper yep. in the sense of, you know, if they, if the business you're looking at, if, if for example, the school district, this school district is always trying to solve problems, fill the needs for their students, teachers, you know, staff. So if you apply for a job here and you don't understand um, what the problems this district is trying to solve, then this might not be the job that you should accept yep. because you need to know what it's kind of like a mission statement. You Absolutely. need to know their, that mission statement. You need to know if it aligns well with what you want to do yep. or what you want to accomplish. And that's a new idea that um, he sparked in me to look at when we're talking about accounting careers. Now, what problems are they trying to solve? And will those problems, are they endearing to you? Right. Or do you want to go, no way, right. you know? Um, I think it's a, a, it's a good um, starting point for kids when they look at the problems that these careers resolve. like. You know, if you want to be a doctor, but you can't stand blood, you know, well, that's some of the things yep. they're trying to resolve. And that means that you need to eliminate that and yep. maybe look at a, maybe a different specialized field. So I think I learned a lot this summer just by looking at that and then redesigning how I approach counting careers, you know, for this upcoming year. Yep. Make the kids look at the problems and are they interested in those problems? If they're not, then most likely that career is not really what they should yeah. explore the, the way that I so whenever we meet with a vendor the, the first question I ask is what value do you add to the organization mm -hmm. and it's kind of the same way that so that's the same that's my interpretation of what you just said so right. when I look at you know the district what value am I adding to the district and so like that's a question that I ask myself all the time so when we are trying to oversee a project okay am I adding value to the project or am I am I being a distraction right like there's mm -hmm. and thankfully now that one of the things that I'm most proud of in the district is that we've had really strong consistency with our leadership team, which means that they want to stay, which is, right. which is <laughs> Always like, a good people, thing. Don't, people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses usually. So, um, but they are now comfortable enough with me that when, so my instinct is to do their jobs for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so like, I, like I still kind of want to be the high school principal, right? Like, and so, mm -hmm. um, but like <laughs> Leslie will tell me like, don't you have like a book to write? Or <laughs> just back off for a couple of weeks like, all right like, and I, so like i don't realize that you know like if i get downtime or bored that i just like my instinct is to do that and so i have to ask myself okay by going to the high school and walking through am i adding value or am i detracting value like it's, mm -hmm. it's that's kind of the way that i kind of measure it in my head and i think it's really smart for kids to think about life that way right yep. like if if i'm going to add value to the situation then you should get involved in it if you're not going to add value then probably not and plus, too, this now has made me ask the question, very serious questions about the products that we offer in our department. Oh, yeah. Um, when we offer these particular classes, um, is it what students value? Right. Is it what students want? Is it what students need? If it's not, they're not going to buy your product. Right. You know, and so 
Um, it's made me rethink a lot of things, yeah. you know, about, you know, how, how we should be approaching things. So, yeah. um, it, it just kind of stimulated. I thought, I mean, when you were talking about this yep. stuff that, you know, you know, we come from a business background. So everything that we do, we're seeing through business eyes yep. and it, it makes sense to us, you know? So, I mean, to me, there's a lot of different varieties of language out there that you can use. But um, again, again, Ryan and I yep. are always talking about what problem are you trying to solve? Yep. You know, business basics and economics 101 is runs through every organization and every institution, right? Like it's, yep. it's, it's supply, demand, it's value add proposition. It's, uh, you know, it's marketing to ensure people understand your message and your brand. Like it's, it all kind of funnels through to that people. Uh, there was a, in the late nineties, early aughts, comparing schools to businesses was popular and then became like, you know, you can never do that in terms of what, you know, the, the, early odds cancel culture was you can never compare schools to businesses. Well, I'll just say like a superintendent, I try to run this like a business. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, right. Like, yeah. and so, um, and I think it's even more, more difficult to run it like a business than a typical business because there is no controllable revenue stream for me. Right. So all I can do is control expenditures and try to produce the best possible outcomes, but the better the outcomes, it doesn't change my revenue. So I can have to control my expenditures. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just an interesting like worldview, mm -hmm. um, of, of how the world works, right? Like the world is business. Oh, well, yeah. Yep. And we say it all the right. time, every career you go into is a business. Yep. And if you don't understand that, you're going to struggle in your career because you need to know what, you know, one, that businesses expect you to help them make money. And then two, that um, can you help them solve whatever problem they're yep. looking at? And if you can do that, you're going to be a very successful employee. Yep. So, yeah. Thank you. All right, back closing up with PJ. Um, PJ, I know that you have written some books. I know I've read one of your books on time management. Um, this is a great time for you to be able to put out some words of advice. And at the end of the podcast, we'll list the, the books that you've written. Um, anything that you want to put on there that you would encourage people to read that you have written. Sure. Thank you. Uh, so I just finished my eighth book this summer. Woo! Yeah. So it will uh, it will be coming out soon. We're in the revision process right now. I wrote it again with the Soup Chat guys. So if you guys are uh, oh, familiar online, chat. Nick and Mike are quite the dynamic duo. And then typically <laughs> when, uh, when they write, I get to be the third wheel on this one. So um, that was an interesting process for this one to write because it was through the midst of the pandemic. And we wanted to not make a book trying to capitalize on the pandemic. So it was interesting to write about leadership in a time where there was your entirety of your focus was on the pandemic while trying not to talk about the pandemic as examples of the book. So um, that's book number eight. The, the book writing process for me is cathartic. Uh, so maybe an interesting way to take this, and I don't know how you guys want to go through, but writing educational books does not make you a lot of money. No. So it's one of those things where I just want to like dispel any rumors or any thoughts. Um, so typically on a, on a book contract, you get eight to 10 to 12% of sales. A bestseller in education is usually considered uh, 5,000 copies. Oh. Wow. So 3%, you know, so when you get 8% of $22 and if it's a bestseller, which obviously the bestsellers are bestsellers for a reason that every book is a bestseller. Um, and then you put in the amount of hours it takes to write one. You probably can make more money driving Uber than you can <laughs> write a book. So, 
uh, it does do some things though. So for me, it's important because I process through writing always have. And so if I'm having a problem, it's easier for me to sit down and write it out than it is to even talk it out with uh, a significant other or a confidant. Um, so it allows me to process that way. And then the second thing is that in education, I think there's this interesting concept around legacy. So when you think about legacy, and the first couple of times I heard it, and Lynn Gibson, the former superintendent, Hananiga, now a professor at Northern, um, used to talk about legacy all the time. And it was off-putting to me because it seemed um, there's a level of arrogance to it. And the more that I thought about it, the more right she was and the wrong I was in my thinking. <laughs> but the, that really what education is, is entirely about legacy. It's about leaving things behind better than you found them for the organizations and institutions that you work with and for the individuals within those organizations is that you're constantly building legacy. And so to be able to formally put my thoughts into the creative world and then for people in it. So some of the books I've written are published in France, uh, in uh, Korea, in China. So to know that people are reading my thoughts on education literally throughout the world, um, it's pretty cool to think about. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, while not necessarily lucrative, it's, it's cool. Um, and the, the process of writing and getting your butt kicked through an editor and starting over and all of those types of things has been very good preparation for lots of other aspects of, of leadership and being a superintendent to pour your heart into soul and something and then get it kicked back to you and be like, Oh, these two paragraphs are good. Like these two paragraphs, there's 18 pages. Uh, <laughs> I feel that right. pain. <laughs> so that's, that, that's been, that's been really helpful. And it's also the writing has opened up doors to speak. Right. And so um, the speaker world and education is really interesting because you have people, there seems to be two fields, right? You have the very research centric Marzano Hattie types, and then you have, a different version, which is more like an edutainer, where they're going to come out and inspire and motivate and, and talk to you in platitudes, but not necessarily really develop you professionally. Yep. Um, of which I'm neither. So I'm kind of a hybrid, I would say, of the two. I try to leave people in a better mood than I found them and try to make them think and laugh. Um, but we're not dancing when I'm giving a keynote, like you are for several others. And, uh, <laughs> and that, that's just not me, right? Like it's right. so, it'd be completely inauthentic to do it, but I'm also not going to hit you over the head with 14. Uh, you know, meta-analyses either. So trying to find my own lane and doing that is is awesome. Um, and I I love it. And I'm very fortunate that the, I've been able to find, I don't even know if balance, it's not a balance, it's a fit within the district where I can do my job and still be able to go do some of those other things that I really deeply enjoy doing. Uh, and it's one of the things I about the pandemic personally, like very fortunate to not have our district or my family impacted in a health sense, mm -hmm. um, but not being able to go and connect with other educators throughout the country is, is sad. Like there's people that oh, yeah. I counted on seeing, or I kind of seeing once a year and going out for dinner and drinks with that. I, you know, we would have skipped a year and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that industry rebounds with what, if there's a new normal for that as well mm -hmm. um, with people figuring out how to leverage zoom, and giving a keynote on Zoom is great, but it's not the same as you know talking to a thousand people's faces. So it's a yeah. it's a different different feel that way. That's a good one point. Other books. Uh, so the first book I wrote was on building a culture of support, and it was essentially uh, a story of how I tried to build back the culture that I broke unintentionally <laughs> in my first principalship. So it's all the things that I wanted to do. Uh, 
that is the book that I'm least proud of because it ended up not being my book. It was the editor's book. It was oh. the first time I had written. I took every suggestion. I let them tear out anything they wanted to. So what we what was created was a published book, and I was proud of it. Um, but it's much more the editor's book than it was mine. Right. Second book was on learner-centered instructional strategies, which now seems really commonplace. But 11 years ago, nobody was talking about learner-centered instructional strategies. So uh, put that book out. And I was proud to write that book with Todd Whitaker. So Todd is kind of... Oh, yes. Uh, Love Todd's work. The, yeah. The, godfather of educational speaking and writing. He's got over 40 books he's co-authored. And he has been, uh, in many ways, uh, at the beginning part of my writing and speaking career, he was kind of my coach and mentor. He helped me along with a lot of the business decisions as to, uh, hey, you're, this is a really bad contract. Don't sign <laughs> that. Or, um, hey, do this. And it's uh, he, he taught me a ton in those regards. And then um, co-wrote two books with Julie Adams and Rosa Isaiah, um, one on fully charged, which is we brought Julie in to speak here. Mm -hmm. We were able to get her substantially <laughs> yes. discounted because of our work together. And she's amazing. To me, she is the world's best female keynote educational speaker. Um, I think there's some, not that we need to separate it, but I think she's a, a, between female and male. I think she's elite no matter what, but I think she's mm -hmm. the world's best. Uh, and so th that was her idea and I was just happy to be a part of it. And then we had a good deal of success that was a bestseller. Um, and then we were able to parlay that into a second book on fully charged systems, taking it from the individual level to the macro. Uh, and then I've got two books out with the soup chat guys, one on student voice. And then this one that'll be released, uh, hopefully soon. I don't know, you know, what's, what's inside of our hands. It could take six months or a year. Or two yeah. months. I don't know how it'll go, but that'll be titled unfinished. And it's just about the fact that no matter how accomplished you think you are as a leader, there's always a challenge you haven't, mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, encountered previously around the corner and that we should all kind of continue to try to grow in who we are. Uh, and then the last two that I wrote by myself, one was called Making Evaluation Meaningful. Uh, the evaluation process for teachers is the most resource intensive waste of time in schools. Right now, <laughs> I know teachers will love hearing that comment. I don't it shouldn't be a waste of time. Just the way that it's traditionally done throughout the country is a waste of time. Right. Um, so what happens is that teachers get really stressed out. Administrators get really stressed out. And they don't put in a lot of time and effort into particularly the ones that get done closer to the deadline. And it doesn't improve our teaching practice. And so if I told a district, you're going to spend $5,000 on an evaluation system, you're going to spend $20,000 on training every decade, and you're going to spend total for, you know, for a building our size and this building are now 40 teachers, we probably spend almost a thousand man hours on the evaluation process. And all of that's going to have no ROI to go back to a business term. Right. then why do we keep doing it? And right. so that book was to discover and talk about how, how we can make that process a little bit better. And then the last book I wrote was on time management, which is an education agnostic book for 95% of it. There's very few education examples. It's just you, just more human examples. Um, and that's been really cool for me because it's allowed me to go speak at law firms and insurance companies mm -hmm. or whatever else I've got. Because time management is time management is time management. Right. Um, and really the thesis of the book is essentially that they're really is no such thing as time management. It's about managing yourself as a human. Um, and if we can do that, then we're going to have be much more efficient. Oh, yes. Well, I can give you a thumbs up for the time management. That's the one I read that I thought was excellent. Well, thank so, you. Anyways, um, we want to thank you for being here, PJ. It's been a great learning experience. Oh, yes, so it has been. I appreciate a lot of the things that you shared that I didn't know. Good. So, well, thank, thank you, you very much. And thank you guys for doing this and representing our district on this platform. It's amazing. Yeah, you it's are. So much fun. Good, good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right, guys. PJ. Thank you.
would like to thank PJ again for joining us at the Meridian 223 Teacher Podcast. He was pretty awesome. Huh? He was. It was great. <laughs> it had been an honor to work with you and have you share your ideas and experiences. We will have uh, links to PJ's website as well as his books into the show notes. And if you are willing to meet this summer to create a podcast with Ryan and Kathy, please let us know. We are very anxious to hear from all of you. Yes, and our, ne- our guest for our next podcast will be Mr. Joel Mulliken. He is the principal of our district's middle school. We are looking forward to having Joe on our show. His expertise is in character education. If you want to learn more about his dissertation and what character education is, tune in for our next broadcast. Again, we just want to put out another thank you to uh, Mr. Capozzi. He was pretty awesome. I learned a lot. Oh, yes. I did not know. Um, Just another reminder, if you are doing some exciting activities in the classroom, our district would love to hear from you. So please contact Ryan or us or myself about sharing your ideas on our podcast. Having two Kathys would be just as crazy as having two of us. (laughs) Thank you again for everybody for listening to the Meridian 223 Teacher Podcast.